You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 150. The more clarity that we have about what we want to do, about who we want to serve, about what our long-range plans are, the more confident and less scattered we're going to be moving forward. It just helps us make good choices in alignment for where we want to go. So the clearer I had been, probably the less I would have been inclined to make choices out of fear instead of out of certainty. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Coach Show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler. I am super glad to have you here this week. I'm going to fly solo with you and share. I'm going to get naked with you guys this week and, and share some of my egg on the face. Wish I had done things differently early on in the days of my business so that hopefully you can learn and Take what you will from the mistakes that I've made as you make decisions in your business. Now, full disclosure, as I tape this today, there is a thunderstorm rolling into North Texas. You'll probably hear the wind and the rain on my window. You might even hear thunder. If you hear thunder, then you're also going to hear my dog bark because he hates it when it thunders and he starts to bark. But we're going to plow ahead and record this now anyway, because my dear editing team is in Florida and we're trying to get this to them before the hurricane rolls in. My thoughts and prayers are with anyone who is in the line of the hurricane. When this show goes live, all those storms might already be passed, but right now, and for any aftermath of the storm, my thoughts and prayers are with you, and we are going to plunge ahead and record the show. You might get a little extra today with the thunder and potentially Coda, the dog, barking, but we will get this information out to you because I really want to share some things that if I had a mulligan, for those of you who know, a mulligan is like a time that you can play it again in golf. If I had some mulligans for some of the things that I did early on as I transitioned from therapy into coaching, I would do that. And I'm sharing some of those moments with you today. So we're going to go through five different lessons that I learned and that probably I continue to learn from in the hopes that as you, wherever you are in your business, can potentially learn from those or make some choices about the learning that I had. So we're going to start with, as I thought over different mistakes that I've made, one of the first things that popped into mind for me was that when I first transitioned from being a therapist into being an executive coach, I really diminished my differentiator. So many of you know, as I said, that I started my career 
as a therapist. I was a therapist in my own business. So I was a business owner. I had been in my own business since 1990. But I had a belief that going into executive coaching, my background as a therapist and as a small business owner would not be as valuable as somebody who had a corporate or executive background. Now, for some clients, that probably was spot on. In some ways, that is true. But that wasn't my background. I wasn't bringing an executive or corporate background. I'd been in the corporate world for a very short period of time. I had a leadership role in that organization, but really the vast majority of my professional life had been in private practice and as a business owner. So what I needed to come to a place of realizing was that my background and my experience brought a different skill set and perspective than coaches from other backgrounds. And that that was fine because I wasn't meant to be the perfect coach for every person. We all have different client populations that speak to our skill sets. And my comfort level coming from my background was that I was very comfortable with people's internal struggles, with emotions, with relationship dynamics, and that I was able in many ways to tune into some of the deeper emotional aspects or discomfort that people have at a very deep level without going into a therapy role. So what I want you to consider is that, first of all, exactly what I said in that we are not meant to be all things to all people. We will gravitate to the clients who need us and those clients who sort of resonate with who we are and what we bring will be attracted to us. So the first step there is to get clear about who you are and what you uniquely bring to the table, whether it's from your work experience, life experience, maybe different trainings you've had, your life philosophy, any number of things will sort of create the differentiators for who you are. I would encourage you to stay tuned into what is that self-talk that you're giving to yourself? What are the beliefs that are driving your feelings and your behaviors? And what are you ultimately telling yourself about your skill set, about what you bring to the table? And you might need to do a little work around that to get more comfortable with what your unique value proposition is. When we get clear about our unique value proposition, about how we bring value to the client conversation in definitely focusing on the process of coaching and believing in the process of coaching. And at the same time, what is the impact that you have on the clients with whom you work? And if the clearer you are about the value that that relationship brings, what you bring to that relationship, the more confident you're going to be in the differentiators that you have and how you uniquely partner with your clients. So I challenge you to think about what can you do to build your confidence in the skill set that you bring forward 
consider what population is likely to benefit from your approach. And you might even think about what additional training you might think about getting to be able to respond to any deficit that you feel that you have. So once again, going back to my experience, I knew coming from the field of therapy that many therapists went into the field of life coaching. That wasn't what I was drawn to do. I was drawn to go to executive coaching. So I specifically chose an executive coaching program because that was the additional skill building that I felt that I needed to do that transition confidently. I also spent time, energy, and money doing many different leadership training programs so that I continued to build that muscle set, continued to build where potentially I felt that I didn't bring the same things to the table. Now, did that ever make me a CEO going into uh, coach another CEO? No, but it allowed me to really get clear about what my skill set is and work with CEOs who are comfortable with the skill set that I bring. So many different things for you to consider and learn from your own differentiators. I would encourage you not to diminish that differentiator. Don't put it under a bushel basket the way that I did. But in fact, get really clear about what that is and how you want to present it. All right. My second mistake that I will get vulnerable with all of you and share is that initially, as I look back, when I did that transition from therapy to coaching, I just wanted to build my clientele as quickly as possible. I wanted to be able to completely let go of my therapy practice and move into a coaching practice. And in many ways, this is related to that first mistake that I made or hiccup that I had in the road in diminishing my differentiator. Because rather than building out my value proposition, I found, and I don't know that I even realized that I was doing it at the time, but I was looking for ways to build a clientele around that executive coaching space by looking for shortcuts in a way. So for example, one of the things that I did was that I got certified as a productivity coach. Now that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, that if that was really what my passion was and what I felt drawn to, then that would have been fine. But it wasn't coming from a place of my passion or from a place of what I was building around my strengths, it actually, as I was looking back, it's something that I did out of fear instead of out of strength. I thought, okay, it's working for these people to kind of approach business leaders through that productivity, organizational sort of approach to get in the door and then build additional coaching. But it was never really what sung to me. It wasn't really my passion. And so ultimately, it ended up not being a good investment of my time and money. And it didn't really create that magical opening that I was thinking it would as I was really operating out of anxiety or fear in trying to create that shortcut. I also 
one of the other shortcuts that I tried to take was that I was actually approached by somebody that I really respect and trust. And she had a certification program for something that was going to be right up my alley. So that actually was something that did speak to me. It did speak to my strengths. Unfortunately, though, and this is, might happen sometimes as you explore different things, I paid for the certification, went through the certification, and the program sort of bottomed out. They had their own internal struggles. And so what was promised just never really came out of that. And you know, that might happen. Things like that might happen. Another, uh, you're going to think, my goodness, Meg, you made so many different different blunders, but you know, this is over many years. One of the things that I also did early on, or this was many years ago, and I've learned is I did a collaborative project. And the collaborative project I did at that point was writing a book with other people through a company. And while that might work for some people, that was not a good choice for me. In retrospect, I would say that if I ever did a collaborative project again, it would only be with people that I knew very well. It would be not under sort of a celebrity name, but it would be more of a equals kind of putting it out there. It just for me was not, A, wasn't a quick way to credibility or kind of creating the kind of energy and focus that that I thought it was going to. So that might be a path to success for some of you. Ultimately, if I were to look at that again, I would say that in this day and age, it makes more sense to self-publish a book of your own than to go the route of paying somebody to be in a collaborative project. That's just my own two cents worth. And so I promised to share some mistakes that I made. And that was one of the ones that I look at as a mistake. So what I would give you is things to consider instead. As as I said, in creating credibility, or if you really want to be an author, and you have a choice between paying somebody to be in a collaborative book versus writing your own book, my two cents worth would be just write your own book. But the other things about looking for a shortcut to build your coaching clientele. I would say that, you know, there's nothing wrong with specializing. As a matter of fact, I think that that's part of your differentiator, but you really want to be selective and make sure that it is a fit for you. Like the productivity coaching was just not really a fit for me. I would encourage you to give yourself the room to build your business. I don't think it's unusual to take two to three years to really build a business to the place that you are comfortable or that you're beginning to have that flow, which means, you know, what are you going to do to help create income and flow for yourself before then so that you're not operating out of a place of scarcity? I would also encourage you to realize that just because something works for somebody else or it looks like, oh my gosh, that looks so easy as a way for that person to do it, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a bet, a good fit for you. So really explore things, do your research, tune into what your inner voice is telling you, be true to yourself. And when you believe that something is a fit, 
just make sure that you're making the best choice for yourself at the time. Yes, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I'm talking to you 10 years after I've made many of these choices, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But even at the time, if I'm honest with myself, looking back, there were probably some choices I made that my gut told me, is this really the best choice? So pay attention to your gut. Relationship building continues to be my biggest business builder. And it's one of those things that takes time and pays off in the long run. So we go back to that, you know, give yourself the appropriate amount of time to build your business. Okay, so my first mistake was diminishing my differentiator. My second mistake was looking for shortcuts to build that coaching clientele. My third mistake that I'm going to share with all of you was neglecting to get super clear on my goals and my vision for my business right out of the gate. When I began my coaching practice, I was still obviously seeing therapy clients. I had my therapy business as well. And I think that really all I could think about was what do I need to do to be able to begin to transition to take on more coaching clients and less therapy clients. So my goal was, you know, how do I make sure that my therapy clients are okay, that they're either ready to terminate therapy because they're healthier and ready to close out therapy anyway, or how do I need to transition them to other therapists? And also, what did I want my coaching business to look like? Now, when I started to get really clear about that, I did make some solid decisions. For example, I closed my practice that was in a medical district, which made sense for my therapy practice, and I moved into a business setting that I literally moved my entire practice and was among business owners that were not, you know, doctors or therapists. I began networking more around coaching and and letting go of of therapy. And I began marketing to my new clientele. However, I think that when I look back, if I would have done more visioning about where I wanted my business to be one year, two year, five years, 10 years out, and really flesh that out. I remember being in a mastermind group. We put together a mastermind group, four of us who were new coaches who wanted to build our business. We put together that mastermind group. I worked on some of those plans, but I don't know that I put enough time and energy into them to get super clear about where I wanted to be. Now, in all fairness, that early out of the gate, there goes some thunder, that early out of the gate, I don't know that I had the kind of clarity that I have now. However, I do believe that when we create a vision, we're more likely to get to where we want to be faster. So here's things I want you to consider from my lessons learned. The more clarity that we have about what we want to do, about who we want to serve, about what our long-range plans are, the more confident and less scattered we're going to be moving forward. It just helps us make good choices in alignment for where we want to go. So the clearer I had been, probably the less I would have been inclined to make choices out of fear instead of out of certainty. 
our visions and plans are probably going to be tweaked and maybe changed as we move along. But when we put thought and energy, when we're mindful and intentional about our choices, we're going to be more likely to get there. So I would challenge all of you, what is your one-year plan? What's your five-year plan, 10-year plan? Write it down. So much research says if we write it down, we're more likely to get there. Revisit it. Create a vision so that your mind, which is an incredible, incredible thing, can help you get there. It can help you begin to see ways to make it happen. Now, this is another place where having a strong partnership with a coach or a mentor can be very helpful to you as you begin to clarify where is it that I want to be and what do I need to do to get there. My fourth mistake that I'm going to share with all of you is building up my business through investing in programs or systems before I was ready to have them. So this is sort of building off that whole concept of getting clear first. As you build your business, you're going to need tools, systems, ways to manage your information, stay in touch with your clients. All those things are very important. And there are oodles of options available. So this is me getting completely completely exposed with all of you, I'm going to tell you a story about something that I did early on regarding my customer relationship management system. So my CRM. Early on, I saw that the people that I really respected in the business had a particular client management system, a client, a CRM system that I felt if that's the system that all the people used that were in the place that I wanted to be, then I probably should use that system as well. I happened to be in a workshop where somebody gave a presentation from this company and offered a savings if you signed in right away. So I went ahead and invested because I knew that this was a system that I wanted to use because the leaders in the industry were using it. It was sort of like the analogy that I would use is that I bought a Cadillac and then I had to pay for the gas for the Cadillac and I had to lease a bigger garage to fit the Cadillac in it and I needed a pricier mechanic to be able to help with my Cadillac. When at that time that I did that, I would have been just fine with a Ford Escort in a tiny garage with low maintenance. So what I want you to consider is that you only need the vehicle that you need at the place that you're in your business at the time. All the months that I paid for the Cadillac when I didn't need a Cadillac, when I didn't even know how to drive the Cadillac, when I had to pay for people to help me figure out the Cadillac, when I would have been just fine with a smaller CRM, with a smaller management system. And once I invested 
the initial amount of the investment, then I felt like, gosh, I've already paid this initial big chunk. I don't want to give it up. So I paid more and more money every month to keep a system that was really bigger than I needed. So I hope you can all learn from me. And here's the things that I want you to consider. It's going to take some time and energy at the get-go to find the, the system that's right for you because there are so many out there. But I would encourage you to look initially at what is available at little or no cost for smaller accounts. And that might be where you are right out of the gate. What resources can you tap in to explore what other coaches are using with similar business sizes? What Facebook groups might you join to be able to have interaction with other coaches and ask questions and explore? What podcasts might you listen to that can help you learn and explore different resources? What mentors do you have and what do they recommend for the size of your business and what you're doing right now? And even if you're presented with a deal that may have a time limit or only a certain number of people can get in at this deal, so whatever kind of scarcity might be built into the deal, I would just encourage you to do your due diligence and to be certain that you're in a place where your business needs whatever that is that you're being offered so that you make the best choice for yourself at that moment. So that's my two cents worth versus for the different systems and the different, the different products that are available out there. Be certain just because the people at the top of the industry are using something, they might be driving Cadillacs because they're in the place of needing a Cadillac and you might be in a place of less maintenance needed for whatever vehicle you're driving. Okay. And now for the final lesson that I learned and something, a mistake that I feel like I made was not putting enough attention into list building from the get-go. So yes, I've been in practice since 1990 and list building at that point probably didn't make as much sense as it does now, but there was certainly a time along the path far before I started paying attention to having an email list where I could communicate with my prospects and my clients much earlier than when I actually did. So let's state the obvious. It's 2019 now. We are attached to our electronic devices and our clients are attached to their electronic devices. And the way that we can continue to reach out and bring value to our clients and our prospects is being able to stay in touch through those electronic devices, usually through email. It's how we share our resources. It's how we can stay top of mind with our clients. It's how we can share any new services that we might have available for them. So saying that, here's what I would encourage you to consider. When we have a healthy list of email addresses for our clients and our prospects, we can consistently offer value to them. And that's the key to establishing our credibility, maybe sharing information through our blogs or our podcasts or our articles that we write. It is the way that you keep your business pipeline full 
and that once again, you are at top of mind with your prospects and your clients so that when they need your services or they know of somebody who needs services, you are top of mind because they just got that email from you sharing a particular tidbit, sharing a quote, sharing an article or something of value with them, and that you are able to consistently stay in contact with them. So my challenge for this particular piece is that if you do not yet have some kind of a giveaway or lead magnet, they're many times referred to, that provides your ideal client population with value, something that they can download in exchange for their email address, whether it's a PDF or an article that you've written, maybe it's a checklist or a quiz, or maybe even a mini course that you have recorded, something that shows the value of what you offer that is worth it to them to give their email to you, then I challenge you to work on creating that right away. It is never too soon to start building your list. And I think out of everything that I've said today, the thing that I most would like the mulligan for is to have begun building my list sooner with all those thousands of people that I've seen over the years. So there you go. You now have been able, I've gotten completely vulnerable and upfront with you about five lessons that I've learned over the course of my practice and working with people. I'm going to go through them again real quickly, just in case you've missed any of the five. My first mistake that I learned from was initially diminishing my differentiator and not using it right out of the gate to build my value proposition. My second was looking for a shortcut to build coaching clientele in the executive coaching space rather than, once again, building it off my value proposition from my differentiator, as well as doing, it's fine to invest in things, but making sure that they were building off of my strengths and that they were really coming from what I passionately wanted to do. My third mistake was neglecting to get crystal clear on my goals and vision for my business sooner than later, investing the time to be intentional and creative and to tap into that vision so that even if it tweaked and grew as I got clearer about that, I was more centered and focused and less scattered. My fourth mistake was investing in programs or systems before I was really ready, before I needed them at the scale that I invested in. And the fifth was not starting to build my list sooner. So not putting enough attention to list building early on. Now, I've shared my oops with you I hope that you can learn and grow from those as you continue to put your time and energy and effort into building the business that you want and serving the clients that are right for you. I hope that 
Me getting a little naked and vulnerable with you has been helpful. I certainly hope that you tune in next week where we're going to have Master Certified Coach and member of the ICF Global Board, Sarah Smith, will join us next week to share with us the changes that the ICF is going through and how those changes are actually going to help us utilize their resources and the offerings that the ICF has to be that much more effective in our businesses and how they are upping their value proposition so that it is really not beneficial to us to not be a part of that organization. So that's a double negative. She's going to share the value of being a member of the ICF and all the changes that they're making. So come back next week as we talk with Master Certified Coach Sarah Smith. And until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Stay safe in the weather and we'll talk next week.